Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I'm joined today by Alvin McRae and Jason Rudman. Now, Alvin and Jason are a couple who've been married happily for several years, and they're the proud parents of two incredible, well-grounded, kind, and empathetic children. Now, as one of our Pride Month feature episodes, I asked them to join me today to share their story of love and commitment and success with our audience. Now, through this interview, we hope to shed light on not only the societal challenges that same-sex couples may face, but also the triumphs, the good times that Alvin and Jason have achieved as a family. So Alvin and Jason, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Hey. Hey. Thanks for having us. Yes, um, well, thank you. Thank you. And you are in Los Angeles, right? Thanks for having us. I want to say that. Well, it's my pleasure to have you both here. Thank you. Thank you. And you're in Los Angeles, yes? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Now, I know you both from our time in New York City, but what I want to begin with, as we have spoken before about just this sort of magical way in which people come together who normally might not have been in each other's spheres, so to speak. You guys are from two different backgrounds. Jason, you're from a blue-collar family in, in the UK. Your father was in the military or something. A little bit about your background, please share with us. I grew up one of four kids. I always laugh because I'm the first person in my family to go to college. Hmm. You know, my dad joined the Navy as soon as the British Navy as soon as he could. As you know, Corey, my, my mom worked in a knicker factory. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, she worked in a knit. So she sewed knickers out of mm-hmm. knickers being ladies' underwear, not bloomers, right? Yes, I'm gonna make sure we clarify that because I wear what I think are knickers, which are like short pants, like, but these are panties for women. So this would be panties for women. Yeah, knickers. <laughs> okay. My mom was a homemaker. She worked in a crisp factory. She worked in a hospital. And I grew up in a lower middle income household in England that lacked diversity. There were three black families in a town of 250,000 people. Wow. I knew two of them because they happened to serve with them in the Navy. So that was my upbringing. It was British, it was white, and it was lower middle income challenges that come with that. Mm, yeah. And Alvin, how about you? What's your background? Well, I grew up in a white collar household. My dad was a businessman and he went on his own construction company. And my mother was a nursing educator. She worked in healthcare administration. She was first nursing director, then she went on to healthcare administration for the hospital. We didn't really class ourselves back then. I mean, would, mm-hmm. if compared to today, it would be like a middle, upper middle class. But who says that, right? Those terms right. always seem weird, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my neighbor is like, I have a neighbor who played the lottery number for a living, and my other neighbor was a doctor. So <laughs> that right. kind of bringing, we're right. all it was diverse in its thinking. And I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor of a church eventually. My mother was, we were the first family of a church. So I have that mm-hmm. spiritual background. Mixed town. So contrary to Jason's all white, I grew up with a lot of different. Races. Yeah. And why I think that's important to share is because there's such a divisiveness when it comes to the idea of who's gay, who's straight. Like there's some sort of like 
different species from <laughs> from us or something, you know. But at the end of the day, I really wanted to stress that because it shows that we have all these similarities. Everything that you just mentioned that you both mentioned, that's my family. That's I have Navy people in my family and I have doctors and I have teachers and I have people who are blue collar workers. And so it's a mix. And I think those common denominators are really important for us to call out. I will say for full transparency that I did attend your wedding when you were married years ago. And I always joke and say, I may or may not have sang at the wedding. And of course, I I did sing. I had the privilege of singing. I sang. It's important to talk about that though, because when you did get married, it was before the federal law passed. And so you were sort of in a segmented marriage where it was like legal in some places, but not others. So share a little bit about that. So, I mean, the reality was we got married in 2010. So we've been together for 25 years this year. You'll appreciate 25 years ago, we weren't even talking about marriage in any states. Right, right. right. The short answer was we lived in New York City. New York City didn't allow for gay marriage in 2010. Connecticut did. So Alvin and I, with 100 other people, including you, Mm -hmm. went to Greenwich, Connecticut, and we got legally married. Mm-hmm. Yes, you did. And then came back to a state to celebrate, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reception was, was in a state that actually recognized out-of-state marriages <laughs> but wouldn't allow you to get married in your state, I think, at that time. Oh, I just, okay. Now, let's talk about that nuance. So New York would recognize it. So you'd yeah, be able to get so. all the spousal coverage for the most part, yeah. but yeah, you just part. couldn't do it there. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a document yet for us legal. Yeah. Mm. So I think because of the politics of New York State, right? There's New York City, and then yes. you have to think about New York City right. in New York State, which is not all blue. blue right? Yeah, yeah. People do forget better. that. Yeah. Okay. And so now, of course, we have federal marriage. But when you did get married and having to deal with this sort of segmented marriage that your parents did not have to deal with, I mean, your parents were married, right? All intents and purposes, they were fully married in the eyes of whatever governing body. How do you exist at that time where you're like, well, we can go and be married kind of, sort of ish. It comes to the rights and protections that you're concerned about when it comes to parental rights. And I mean, there's a whole litany of things that would concern you. How'd you navigate through that? I think at the time it was all new language anyway for same-sex marriage. So we didn't really go into it with any preconceived notion of like protection per se. We want to make sure we're protected here, there, legally, financially. Mm. Kids, all that sort of transpired out of the marriage. The first and foremost thing that we want to do is just to solidify our, our union in the eyes of the state or God, whoever you want to be validated by, right. etc. So that was more of our thinking. And then as marriage became legal across the states, then the conversation about protection started to make more sense. Like what our parents had when they got married originally, mm-hmm. it sort of unfold for us. Like we were able to file joint incomes or taxes, you know, file a tax joint. You be on each other's health care plans, things of that nature started to evolve after we got married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, there's a passage of time here. So mm-hmm. before marriage was domestic partnership, where Unlike straight couples, in order to put Alvin on my health insurance at the company I was at, I had to show that he was on the utility bill. Right. Like straight right. people don't have to do that, right? Right. right. Um, yeah. So marriage cured some things. And then I think we have to realize that we moved to the state of Ohio, Corey, once Roman was born. Mm. And you could get married federally on a Friday. You could be denied access to gas at a gas station or a hotel on Saturday, and you could be fired from your job on Monday, depending on who you were employed by Mm. in Ohio. So I think marriage equality at the federal level is not a panacea 
for right. states deciding that they want to discriminate against LGBTQ folks, right? Mm -hmm. It's just one part mm -hmm. of a full and equitable life that LGBTQIA plus people mm -hmm. have a inalienable right to and is denied us on a daily basis, still mm -hmm. today in 2023. And that brings me to another question, actually, which is what do you say to people who have the argument of by allowing same-sex couples to marry it is somehow diminishing the sanctity of marriage in general for them, for heterosexual people. What do you well, think about you know, that? Boy, I wish that were true because <laughs> I, I, think they're, I think they're ruining the sanctity of marriage on their own. <laughs> they, don't, we, they don't need us to be married in order. The straights don't need us in so, order to right, mess up marriage. I think, <laughs> I, I think the, the, the frustration is that we... Because marriage is so new to same-sex couple, we still revel in it. Like we still cherish the moment and we celebrate it openly and proudly. And I think a lot of people, a lot of straight or heterosexual couples, see that as a threat to their own situation because they may have the well may have dried up, right? They may have been married for a while and may not like each other. So we are the scapegoat. They gaslight us to be the problem when in fact we're just happy that we come together. But I think on the larger term is that. When we talk about the sanctity of marriage, I think that's different for different people. Mm -hmm. uh, because then religion gets sort of put in. Exactly the, right. Sanctity right. implies yeah. religion, exactly right? right? And I, so if we're going to go down that yeah. path, yeah. right? Alvin and I and any LGBTQIA plus person has equal rights to God's blessings or right. Allah's blessings or whoever, yeah. Yeah. whoever you, whoever you pray to. Right. I don't think we should be excluding people from those blessings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think it's a much larger question than religiosity implied by two guys, two women, two trans yeah. people getting married. It's, mm -hmm. yeah. Much bigger and broader than that. Yeah. yeah. I, I liken it to the not so much threat of sanctity of marriage, but I think that because they can't explain it and because they can't walk in our shoes, mm -hmm. in other words, we were forced all of our lives to walk in heterosexual, heteronormativity, all of our right. lives. Male, female get married. That's our normal. One, two men or two females come along, it's abnormal, if you will, to their thinking. So therefore, that presents a problem. And it's it goes along the lines of no control over what we do, no say what we do. So I always ask the question, why do you get so queasy by two guys kissing? No one asked you to get in between us. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, why are you putting yourself in that position? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I find it in general, people who have issues with other people's lifestyles is somehow because they're either like, they're like kind of interjecting themselves into the scenario. Cause I can assure you for me as a gay man, I don't think about what straight people do. Right. I don't like, I just don't, but it seems like there's some straight people who are obsessed with what gay people do and what trans people do and trying to stop their rights and protections. So it's funny. Cause I'm like, I don't think about you guys at all. Well, so I'm not, I'm curious as to why you're. But you have to have a foil though. People in power have to have a foil in order to retain their grip on power. Right. So that's really yeah. what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Like you have to have a foil. If you don't have a foil, then your message doesn't go anywhere. Right. Mm. And I would argue that they, you know, they, mm. <laughs> we're not going to define they. Right. Whoever they right. are, right? right. right. Whoever mm. they are, believe that LGBTQIA plus people are an easy target. Hmm. Mm. This is so profound because just a few days ago, I had been thinking about all the divisiveness in society. And I thought, it seems like there's just a certain group of people throughout history that, again, there's the they, right? And this particular group of people throughout history 
they are not content unless there is another group that they can oppress. And that group that's oppressed, it changes and varies based on what history Yes. allows to unfold. So if it yeah. might have been initially, it might have been the oppression of people of color. And then there's a liberation that happened with those people of color now. African Americans are in a very different social place now. But then there's this group that says, well, now we've got to move on to someone else. Now who else are we now who we got to find another victim, someone else who we think is weak. And then it becomes trans people. That's right. Or women. Right. Or, or women. Women was the beginning. <laughs> yeah, women that. first. And, right. right. And, and women, right? I think the powerful who are nefarious in leveraging their power seek to render different populations powerless. Because mm -hmm. if you render people powerless yeah. and they cannot exert their power, mm -hmm. you therefore retain the majority wow. right. Mm. You're challenged. Right. Right. And so much of, I think, what we're dealing with right now is where, again, look, I, I present white, but I'm going to go here, is white people seeking to understand things that on some level it's like it's not yours to understand you actually just need to accept right. that we're going to walk in these shoes and there's nothing wrong with that you seeking to kind of understand it deconstruct it and then marginalize it or put barriers on it is i think what we're going through right now yeah. mm. right that's how it feels to me as somebody that presents white mm. but lives in a same-sex marriage raising two mixed-race kids our family is the intersection of race gender, sexual identity. And right. so we walk that walk every day yeah. as to that intersectionality. And again, I think it is just very easy for, for people with power to render people powerless mm. because they seek to not understand or believe to understand means somehow they yeah, are that. threatened. Oh yeah, that, yeah. Right. Or sometimes by granting more rights and protections to someone, you are then losing something and I giving know, something yeah, up. They can't comply because they've been in this power. Mm. Well, when it comes to, you just mentioned your children, as I even mentioned them in the introduction, I adore them both. Think they're, I just think as parents, though, you are just raising these two, in my description, I mentioned it, empathetic, kind-hearted, funny, smart. Just, I watched the videos. They're like really amazing kids. And there's lots of parents creating amazing kids and you were among them. What faced challenges did you have though, or do you have as two, not just same-sex male couple, but again, as Jason just mentioned, you're also interracial. You guys are checking a lot of boxes. And then you have two children that sort of present visually differently with two dads who look different. I mean, you have these boxes. I know, a lot of boxes. <laughs> There's a lot of boxes. You guys are doing such a beautiful job. So how are you navigating all that? Appreciate that. We're just walking in and we're walking in the path that was set before us. We're not doing anything out of the ordinary. We're just living our blessing. And I think that as a result, like for instance, a good example would be when we were living in Texas, nothing ever happened to us as far as the kids looking differently, but we always prepare them for that Roman, they would be in the same circles. There'd be less of Eden and she looks black. So there'd be less of her type in the circle. So we just remind our kids, like, you know who you are, but you have to make sure you have each other's back because you're going to go in circles where no one's going to look like Eden. So they may not have the language or the lived experience to associate with Eden. Mm -hmm. And it's not all their own. It's just their experience. So, Roman, you have to always be make sure you protect her in those environments. So it's more like a we more like give them lessons of awareness, 
versus anything that's ever happened to us where we had to like step off and you know like, what you say my daughter you know what you say my kid you know nothing's thank god nothing happened yet yeah. i mean right we've heard, i mean there have been people in our circle right yeah. there have been gay dads in our circle that have experienced that yeah. like no so i just want to be to alvin's point it has not come to us e- explicitly right. but i do think as alvin said our role as parents is to our kids we relate to them as grown kids grown folk like we don't baby them we figure out age appropriate examples one of the best ones i think we had is when we were teaching at, uh, roman at about 6 about martin luther king mm-hmm. right and the lesson was because there was a textbook ordinary people doing extraordinary things mm-hmm. he read the book we read the book together and there's an example in there of where when martin luther king was growing up the kids of color would only get the pool for two hours on a given day. Right. How we related that story to Roman was to say, now, if that would happen today, what would happen to you versus what would happen to your sister? Yeah. And he mm-hmm. immediately started. He's like, I'd be able to use the pool because I present fair. Mm-hmm. And Eden wouldn't. And his immediate reaction was, that's not fair. Right. So it's in those age appropriate conversations that you have that they learn how to operate in this world, mm-hmm. realizing that. We teach them that life is fair until life isn't fair, and mm-hmm. how you act when life isn't fair will be the making of you. Which is a frustration why we experience with the with Florida and the take the rules of rules of parks and textbooks. It's like how do you degrade the value <laughs> of learning about others' differences and what makes us different? And the challenges that were posed upon folks right. who were different way back when. We're not here to protect the fragility of today's youth. We're here to teach today's youth how to be proactive in situations where there are differences. And, you know, I mean, we know the, the, the headlines. It's just frustrating. But you can't forget you your history. You can't. Because if you forget history. your history, you're, you're, bound, you to, may, you're bound to repeat exactly. its ills yeah. in years to come. Yeah. I've definitely been upset by this notion that today's generation of young white children must be protected from hearing what their ancestors did. <laughs> it's just right. bizarre. I mean, it's history. History, it's history. Yeah. What I always wanted to clarify, and I had, I spoke about this in our Black History Month live stream. I said, we want to make sure that white America understands that Black people are not asking you to be guilty. And we're not saying you should be guilty for the sins of your father. We're just asking you to learn about them. As Alvin, you just mentioned, learn about them so future generations do not continue that behavior and repeat history, right? So that's very disturbing. That and also, Corey, to appreciate, also to appreciate when you see a, an African American doctor or, or an African American president, to appreciate the struggle and journey that that person had gone through to get to where they are. Mm-hmm. That's lost on anyone, but specifically not young people today. They should be taught that people of color overcome trials and tribulations, and to take that learning away from them really defeats a huge purpose of humanity. Yeah, no, that's really, really well put. And it reminds me, I mean, in a a more kind of funny way, I remember when NBC did the live version of The Wiz, a lot of people were upset, people who were not educated as to musicals in Hollywood, they were on Twitter. And one girl said, that's so racist. Can you imagine if they did an all white version of The Wiz? Well, right. So let's right. just sit with that for a moment because that's <laughs> that's do thing. Just sit with it. Well, I'm like, that's called the Wizard of Oz, and the reason why the Wiz was created was because we were invited to be a part of the Wizard of Oz, so we made our own, right? So, yeah, it's just kind of funny that history. If you don't tell it, people don't understand the context of all those things. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation which I could go on forever, but I won't tonight because we're talking about you and not the racial divide. But 
you do have that intersectionality. So it's interesting. It does come up. I do want to know though, how do you prioritize like in your parenting skills? How do you sort of prepare your kids to go out in the world though, when it comes to how they deal with having to express that they have two dads as opposed to now we dealt with the interracial thing where your son who presents white should make sure he understands his sister is okay who looks black but the two dads how do you deal with that i think when they were born they knew what they were born into it never meant words or meant the process we talked about it from a very young age how they came to be the birth mother the the surrogate the ivf the whole process and we could not mask that we were two men so it was never an issue or a talking right right so their lived experience is that they have two dads. There is no, you have two dads, but, or mm. because you have two dads, you might want, there is none of that. Now we are very well aware and astute that we will wait. We do have language for with, if one should come home and be like, I was made fun of because I have two dads. I mean, we have empowerment language that, that we would share with them, but I think they handle that pretty well on, on their own so far. Mm-hmm. Be my Mrs. Doubtfire moment, (laughs) by the way. Like, so I just want to put it out there. Mm, Please tell us, yes. If the moment, I'm waiting for the moment when Mm. one of our kids comes home and says, I was bullied or made fun of because I have two dads, because I will get my furry slippers and my, I will put, you know, the the Mrs. Doubtfire scene where she got the house coat on. (laughs) I have no shame. It will be my moment to show up because that will be so offensive to me on so many levels. I'm reminded of when somebody shared with me who had a kid around our age where they were using the, you know, your gay epithet at mm. school. Mm. And the teacher said, well, Billy, don't use the word gay because that's bad. And my immediate reaction was, no, yeah. gay is great. Why are we teaching our kids that the word gay is a bad thing? It's not. It's the context of how you're using it mm-hmm. that we have to teach our kids. And our kids are smart. Yeah. Our kids are smart. The reaction to Eden or Roman having two dads, I mean, on the baseball field, right? This season on the baseball field, what Roman shared with his oh, uh, newfound yeah. friends, yeah, they yeah. have two dads. And they were like, oh, oh that cool. is so cool. Yeah. yeah they were just like going with their lives after that. Right? To kids today, particularly where we are, kids today have the language. They're exposed to it. Their parents are, I like these were progressive because they may not be progressive, but least the kids that we spend oh, our kids with, they're aware. Oh, and then I teach the kids, hey, and there's no issue. So we tap wood. It's like we've fared pretty well so far with bringing up our kids in the areas mm-hmm. that we've been in. Now, granted, granted, a large, no, we're not naive. A large part of this is because we live in a certain socioeconomic dot, you know, area or dynamic. And a liberal and, environment too. I mean, you're in like sort of like the right. entertainment capital of <laughs> America out in Los Angeles, right? But when we live in Texas, which is not quite the liberal capital of the world, there's never been an issue where we have to really step out of ourselves to deal with it. Because I think our kids, for the most part, at least, I'm, at least we know Roman, deals with it very well. Because there was an incident, not so much an incident, but a girl at school. And I think girls just being girls, you know, he's a handsome boy. And I think they're just teasing him. And then she said something along like, well, you don't have a mom mm. or, of the nature. And like there was, a, there was a negative statement. And he pivoted was like i don't like was tell me something new you know what i mean he was very much like yeah that's right so what else you got <laughs> right like what what light are you shedding here okay exactly. all right they simply put they walk in their truth yeah because how do. could they not right we as two dads that were purposeful about building a family to deny them their truth means we deny what we actually put on this planet exactly right mm-hmm. 
You can't do that. Like there's no half stepping. There's no you can't right. be half in and half out. Right. Live out loud. It's about live out loud and live their truth. And we're not teaching our kids how to become liars either. Because once you start denying yeah. the truth about whether it's your family dynamic or about them themselves, they develop this habit of keeping things close to the breast mm-hmm. and omitting some truth, which is essentially lying. And so we're not trying to raise any liars about who they are and where they're from. They're very mm-hmm. proud about. That is so important. That is important to us here at the NSLS and the Motivational Mondays podcast specifically, because one thing that comes up often is this notion of you must live in your authenticity and your true self. And it seems like one of those Oprah cliche things. But at the end of the day, all the successful people that I've interviewed here on Motivational Mondays from CEOs to Olympic diver Greg Luganis to, I mean, just a whole range of people. It's that moment when they said, this is what I'm working with, this is it. I'm not going to apologize for it. So people either get it or they don't. Like, and that's the moment when they bring forward all their Goodness. life, yeah. family, history. Yeah. This is who I am. And so you're raising your kids in that way, which is tremendous. And also I want to ask about when it comes to how you involve them in mm-hmm. the greater LGBTQ community, because with that comes a whole sense of community as well of other kids potentially who have same-sex parents, et cetera. I mean, how do they navigate through that world? Are they involved? Are they aware of like charitable efforts you guys are involved with? How do you work with that? I'll go first because I'm so proud of my organization that I'm on the board of Family Equality. I talk about it all the time. FamilyEquality.org is an amazing organization that really helps the LGBTQ individuals find a pathway to parenthood. And so when Roman was about a year and a half, about a year and a half, we took him to P-Town for Family Week, which just happens every year. It's a uh, annual event. And let's just say, people listening, P-Town yeah. is Provincetown, Massachusetts, an amazing coastal part of Cape Cod, but we're a predominantly LGBT community lives there happily, wonderfully, great community with arts and yeah. landscape, just beautiful, beautiful part. So you take them there for a family week. Or we, we have a week. And so we thought that Roman might be too young to realize what was going on, but he adapted so well. He saw other kids with same-sex parents, which is why I think it's important for us to have done that because he's clear about what he sees at home because he sees it out in public. We take them where we can. Like we live in Cleveland, we had the uh, LGBTQ Day or Gay Pride out in front of our condo where we live in Cleveland. And he was there with his sunglasses on, dancing around all of these, you know, rainbows and people of multiple persuasions. But this is a lived truth that he's been in. So it's not foreign to him. Eden, mm-hmm. we have a couple opportunities to take her. Yeah, I mean, so much, I, I think our goal, right, Corey, is similar to how we should live our life. We should be able to move effortlessly through any lived experience and any experience that we choose right and so for the kids it's about it's funny i was just talking to roman so we're going to run the la pride run in june right because he wants to run he likes to run so we're going to run that that'll be his first pride run right so he'll be able to celebrate his dad right and his dad's as part of that so i think we are conscious that we don't prevent them Mm -hmm. from experiencing that side of who our family is in the same way that we take them to an African-American history experience, right? Or a family reunion. Or a family reunion, right? The beauty is they show up wherever they show up. Yeah. That's the beauty of them being kids. And they, they don't ask questions about it. They're like, oh, we're here. We're hanging out with the cousins. Great. I've got two dads. Why are we talking about this? Yeah. They make flags. Right? They make artwork at school. Sometimes they're just on holidays. You'll see an element of a rainbow flag and some of the designs or just something just so they know and it lets us know rather that they understand exactly where they are. 
Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.